You're listening to Leading and Learning. This is the place where we talk about practical leadership, theology, fitness, how to create winning habits, and so much more. My name is David Spell, and I'm a retired police officer, a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on leading and learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to Leading and Learning. This is episode number 322, The Importance of the Church, a look at Acts, part four. Part four. So we will wrap up today, and just to give you a recap of what we've been talking about, the fact that the the church, the, the body of Christ, is more relevant and more needed than it's ever been before. In episode one, I encourage you to go back and listen to the other three episodes, but in episode one, we looked at some of the background of the author, talked about the book, what he was writing to, and, and people he was writing for. Um, then we talked about the, uh, the, the mission of the church. Uh, the church's mission has not changed in 2,000 years. <clears throat> our methods, our systems might change, but the, the basic mission of making disciples, planting churches, seeing people come to Christ, that part hasn't changed. We talked about the Holy Spirit and the fact that, that the church is called to be Spirit-empowered. Uh, we, we can't do it on our own. Jesus said that um, greater things than, than, than I've done will you do, but it's in the context of Him just having said, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to live inside of you and to work through you. We talked about the importance of prayer. Uh, the, 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 the powerful church is a praying church. The church must pray. God wants us to communicate with Him. He wants us to depend on Him. We can't do it in our own strength, and our own power. And we just talked about the Holy Spirit, but also the power of prayer. Um, you know, instead of just creating a strategy, you know, let's go to God and see what He wants to do. We talked about community. Man, oh man, do we need community more than ever. People need people. Remember, one of the first things God said in the Bible was, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he's created this community for us to live inside. We talked about that last week. Today, I want to talk about leadership, the leadership aspect of the, the church. And, you know, when we think of leadership in the context of the church, some folks don't quite understand what we're talking about. But, you know, the church in, in centuries past, was a leading voice in society. They provided leadership. Um, presidents would go to pastors and ask for advice and counsel. Um, you know, churches exerted influence, and, and really um, their, their influence went far beyond the walls of their building. <clears throat> Things have changed today. The church, uh, you, you know, most people would tell you the church is not relevant anymore, and I, I disagree. The church is more relevant than it's ever been. But how are we exercising the leadership that God's given us? Yes, there's always going to be tension between the church and society, the church and the world, but what, what leadership are we using? And I want to talk about some of the leadership. I'm going to give you three examples of leadership that we see in the Acts of the Apostles. There's actually a number of of them, it's a great study on leadership. Um, I would encourage you, um, as you go through Acts, reading it for yourself, 
look for examples of good leadership and bad leadership because you will see both. So first of all, let's talk about the Apostle Peter. Um, and when we talk about the Apostle Peter, the first thing where we see leadership in Acts of the Apostles is this idea of leading through transition. Um, Peter was the man who had failed spectacularly. He had denied he knew Jesus, and yet Jesus said that when you return, when you 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 come back to me after you know dealing with your stuff, dealing with the shame and embarrassment of denying me, then um, you're going to lead your brothers. And after Jesus was was raised from the dead, they spent time together. After Jesus was taken back into heaven. Even though Jesus had said, wait, uh, I'm going to send the, 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 the promise from on high. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to fill you. They didn't understand what that looked like. It had never happened before. So there was this, this lack of understanding. And so, so we see um, Peter leading through transition. He, he took them into where there was a leadership vacuum. He, there was 120 followers of Jesus, and they're waiting, but not know what they're waiting for. So he took them into prayer. They needed to fill um, the shoes of Judas Iscariot. Peter led them through that. And he led them through the this transition from operating with Jesus, being present with them, to operating in the power of the Holy Spirit and following and doing what he wanted them to do. So Peter was the man, and um, I really would encourage you to kind of check this out. When you see how he really stepped up and led um, through that transition in the first couple of chapters of Acts, um, we see Peter really um, uh, taking that ch- the church to that next level. And we see his leadership through the first half of the Acts of the Apostles um, around chapter 12 or 13 or so, chapter 11, chapter 12, we see him begin to step away from more pastoral ministry and release that to James, the brother of Jesus. And um, we'll talk about him in just a minute. But um, then Peter steps into the, the role as the apostle to the Jews. So Peter, what a great leader he was. But then we also have um, the apostles themselves, the 12 apostles leading the church through a period of growth and crisis. Growth and crisis. When you read Acts 6, you know, it's easy, and you'll even hear people today talk about how, you know, I wish we were back in the early days of the church and the first century church and how it was so great. And it was, I'm sure. But let's face it, they had some problems. They had some issues. And I want to read you just one little passage. This is from Acts 6. Listen to what uh, Luke tells us. He says this. He says, As the believers rapidly multiplied, in other words, as the church is growing, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, We as apostles should spend our time teaching God's Word and not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men from among you who are well-respected and full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we'll give this responsibility to them. Then the apostles, then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. And everybody liked that. They did that, and it averted the crisis. So, so get, a, get an idea of what's going on here. You've got the, the Greek-speaking Jews, 
were from the Dysphoria and uh, other parts of the Roman Empire. And then you had the Hebrew-speaking Jews who lived in Palestine. And there was this, this feeling of tension between the two groups. And the, the Hebrew-speaking um, or the Jewish, the Greek-speaking Jews from, from other countries um, really felt like they were being discriminated against. They weren't real Jews. And so they were being discriminated against, and they brought this decision, they brought this issue to the apostles. Now, this is interesting because look at how the apostles handled this. Um, first of all, notice that this didn't happen when things were going poorly. This happened when things were going well. The, the church was growing, it was multiplying, it was thriving, and growth tends to expose any cracks in our foundation. Growth and success tend to expose cracks in our foundation. Any problems we have in our systems, growth tends to expose it. And so we see the apostles stepping in, and instead of them saying, oh gosh, we can't have this, we'll handle it. They said, no, God hasn't called us to run a food program, but maybe he's called you. And and I love this because what it does is it's not that the apostles were too good to handle this, they realized that God had called them to, to spiritual leadership, to prayer, to teaching, to preaching, to evangelism, and to leading the church. <clears throat> but others, this created an opportunity for other people to be elevated into leadership and into service. And so they had the idea, they said, um, you know, pick seven men who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And these people were anointed. These became the first deacons. And out of this group of deacons, we see at least two of these men rising to even higher levels of spiritual leadership. We see Stephen, who became the first martyr in the the early church, but he um, really uh, began preaching and and proclaiming Jesus and, and became an evangelist along with his role of a deacon. Philip. Philip was one of the original deacons, but he also was known later as Philip the Evangelist, and he was responsible for at least one great move of God in Samaria. Um, that's in, You can read about that in Acts 8. So, so the apostles did a great job here. They solved the problem by elevating other people into leadership and into service. And this is a, this is a great thing because God doesn't want us to do it all ourselves. Um, years and years ago, I worked for a um, <clears throat> a, a pastor, and in, in, it was a small church, and he felt that he had to do everything. So he would get there early and set up the chairs. He would set up the sound system and everything. He was doing everything. And, and I asked him, I said, well, aren't there people in your church who would serve? Well, you know, they're busy. And, and I said, man, you're going to burn out doing this. And so we began to work on putting a team together, and it took a few weeks. And but within a couple of months, we had volunteers showing up early, setting everything up, and making sure everything got done. Now, what happened? Well, first of all, they were thrilled to help. We've increased the level of buy-in for them. We're elevating people who are now serving in the church. Now we've got team leaders who are leading. And so it really benefits everybody, and the pastor was able to focus on um, caring for people and putting messages together and teaching and preaching. So um, whenever we can elevate other leaders to do our job, that's, that's always the way to go. We, we have a little phrase in our church, one of the things we should always be doing is looking to work ourselves out of a job. 
away, I'll be right back. I just want to let you know that this episode of Leading and Learning is brought to you by my book, Peter and Paul in Acts. Peter and Paul in Acts. Um, this book, it really needs to be on your, your bookshelf. It's something you need to be reading. Um, it'll help you understand the Acts of the Apostles better. We examine Peter and Paul's ministries as, as apostles. Um, it's also got a great bibliography if you want to do more detailed study on the Acts of the Apostles. And uh, so anyway, check it out. Go to go, Click on the link. Go to Amazon. You can read the first chapter or so for free. Get an idea. And then by all means, pick it up because I know that you will enjoy it. Well, all right. We are back. I want to talk quickly about two other leaders. First of all, James. James, the, the brother of Jesus, was not a believer when Jesus was um, having his earthly ministry. It says, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus appeared to him after the resurrection. Because remember, John tells us that even Jesus' brothers did not believe in him. They didn't believe he was the Son of God. I mean, they grew up with him. It had to be an interesting dynamic. But James became the uh, leader of the church in Jerusalem. And his one of his claims to fame, and this affects every single Christian in the world today, was his leadership during the Jerusalem Council. This is in Acts 15. There was a discussion among um, the Jews, the Christ, those, those Jews who had become Christians, and some of them felt that to really be a Christian, to really be a follower of Jesus, you had to accept the law of Moses as well. Christianity came out of Judaism, and so to really be a Jew, men had to be circumcised, everybody had to obey the law, and that would complete your Christianity. And the, the apostles Paul and Barnabas had already been ministering in the Greek world and had seen incredible success with people coming to faith, people who weren't Jewish, they didn't have a Jewish background, and yet they were coming to faith and accepting Jesus. And so this was a big, big controversy. And James presided over this council. He heard both sides, and then he made a decision. And thank God for the decision he made. And he, he actually wrote a letter to the, the, the Greek Christians, and he said, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to trouble you any more than needed. And so other than a few dietary requirements just so they could eat with Jewish believers and not make them, uh, not, not offend them, um, they really, um, it, it became obvious in what became the, the, the tenet of the Christian faith is that salvation is not salvation plus the law, it's salvation through faith by grace. So excellent, excellent leadership by James. We see him leading the early church. He eventually um, met a martyr's death as well. And then the last idea of leadership that we're going to talk about in the early church and that we see demonstrated in Acts is the Apostle Paul. Um, obviously at Acts 9, we see the most dramatic conversion in history. But then in Acts 13, he and Barnabas begin going out and preaching the gospel and planting churches preaching the gospel, and planting churches. Their pattern was to go into a city, go into the synagogue, and preach there as long as they could until they got kicked out. And then whatever believers had, had, had come to Christ, they would form a church. They would stay as long as they could, appoint elders out of these baby Christians, and then move on to the next city. And then they would come back periodically and visit them to check on them. And this was the pattern. And when you look through Acts, and then you look through Paul's letters, 
we don't really get a completely accurate number of how many churches he was responsible for, but it was probably 12 or 15 churches. And when you think about travel in the first century, uh, how difficult it was, uh, there were no communications like we have today, and, and Paul to plant 12 to 15 churches, and maybe more because he had an incredible team. Um, you know, when you dig through, again, Acts and his letters, there's probably a hundred names that are associated working with Paul in some capacity or other. So you see Paul is this, this incredible guy. And we think sometimes of, of Paul as like the Lone Ranger, but he wasn't. He is a guy who worked within teams. In fact, almost every letter he writes, it's from Paul and Silas, from Paul and Timothy. Um, he, he's always writing in conjunction with someone else. He he, he wanted it to, to not just be about him. And he had teams who went out and planted churches and, you know, did basically the same thing. So he, he developed a, a team of leaders, not a team of followers. He wasn't just developing disciples who were following him around, listening to every word. He was creating a team of, of, of leaders who were going to go out and replicate what he had done himself. He was also a master at resolving conflict. Read the letter of Philemon, a runaway slave, a very delicate situation, and yet the way he handles it, he resolves the conflict. Even in his own life, there was conflict between he and Barnabas, but that was resolved later, and there's buddies again. Uh, John Mark had abandoned he and Barnabas on a missionary trip, and yet later on, they had resolved the conflict, and Paul says that John Mark was useful in my ministry. So this is a um, you know, the Apostle Paul is really worth studying. And again, I mentioned Peter and Paul in Acts. You'll see really an in-depth look at both of these men and their apostolic ministries. So today, just to wrap up today, we talked about leadership in the, the context of Peter leading the early church through transition. Um, we talked about the apostles leading through growth and crisis and the fact that that uh, crisis often pops up during our growth, and we find out that we got some problems that need to be dealt with. Um, we see James dealing with a very difficult situation that had ramifications throughout the centuries, and yet through the Holy Spirit, through uh, working with the other leaders, they came to, to, to a consensus. And then, of course, Paul, the church planter, the, the apostle to the Gentiles, the man who took Christianity from um, Israel into the the Roman Empire and Saul, by the time of his death, just an incredible growth um, and set them up for growth that would take place over the next several centuries. Well, I'd love to hear from you. What are your thoughts on the church? Is the church still relevant today? Like I say, I believe it is. The, uh, the, 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 the church is still the hope for the world. Um, it's still imported. It's still relevant. Lives are still being changed. Uh, marriages are still being put back together. Kids are still being transformed. And so um, if the church is important, the Acts of the Apostles, where it all started, is important as well. So I encourage you to read Acts, dig in. And if you have any questions or comments, go to davidspell.com. I'd love to hear from you. What are, are your thoughts on this important subject? While you're there... Make sure you sign up to get my free newsletter so that we can stay in touch. Well, friends, thanks for being with me, and I look forward to connecting again next week on Leading and Learning.